How are you, Mr. Jeremy? I'm good. Senor. Sen- What's Jeremy in Spanish? My. Jeremias? Yeah, that's what. Jeremias. That's what I must call him. Hola, Senor Jeremias. Mm-hmm. So they call me. What a weird name in Spanish. I know. Mine's easy. It's John. Well, Juan. John. Juan. Juan. John and Juan. Yeah. See, they both rhyme. They sound the same. How do you go from Jeremy to Jeremias? It's a Jeremy, such a non Latin sounding name. Yeah. Just weren't be- you weren't meant to be Mexican. Man. No. <laughs> Even though for a white guy, I speak some pretty decent Spanish. You probably speak more than I do. <laughs> I think I do. I pick yeah. up on key words when my family decides to shut me out of a conversation yeah. with their foreign language. <laughs> foreigners. Dang foreigners. Oh. So, new week? Yeah. Um, Recording on time today? I know. Last week we were we were really late. We recorded on Friday, and then it took us a day to get the podcast out. Yeah. So I feel like we're recording like two days after our last recording. <laughs> Do we have anything to talk about? Has anything happened in two days that's worth recording a podcast over? Our artwork finally got updated. That's true. Yeah. So on pe- iTunes, and that's probably how most people see our artwork. So. I don't know. I think most people use podcast apps and they're just downloading it or they're going to our site. Do you think iTunes is where they're seeing it? All right. So, so you listening, tweet us at good day, sir, PDCST, an awesome Twitter handler, as you call it. How you listen to our show? Is it, do you use a pod? What are they called? Podcatcher? Do you use a podcatcher like Downcast or Overcast? Or do you use podcast the podcast app? Yeah, like the iOS podcast app or something on Android? Or do you just go to our website and listen? Or do you listen through iTunes? What do you, how do you listen to us? Especially those on Android. How are you listening to us? Because I, I, I got a hold of an Android phone and it made me think I need to buy an Android phone because I don't know enough about those things to be effective. And I kind of need that as I'm starting to get into more mobile development. Yeah. But I had a hard time finding a good, decent podcast app for that. So. I need, I need to, there are probably, discovery there's, there are probably a, like 195 of them. <laughs> None but, of them are very good. I was finding a lot of them were kind of network apps. So you'd ha- you download the app, but it was for a network and you had to be listed in that network to find it. So it was kind of tough shuffle, trying to figure out what, you know, find our entry. Yeah. But uh, what I was going to say is I bet a lot of people, if they are just relying on the podcast app or going to iTunes, they may not have noticed that we did get new artwork. That happened. Right. Did we talk about that? Yeah. yeah we we did. talked about okay. it when it came out. Of course. I was so excited. So we had this delay, though, with iTunes because even though we'd updated our feed correctly and everything else, iTunes was not updating our artwork. And here well, it is about a month later, and it still wasn't updated. And then we found out what was wrong, that the image that was in our feed was not of sufficient size for iTunes to consider. So it just stuck to the old image. Yeah, right? we, we had labeled it, you know, the file size was dimensions was labeled in the file name and me in all my wisdom and glory thought cool that must the right be the size. resolution that must be the resolution it's in the file name <laughs> exactly and so i've been submitting it i submitted requests i asked a bunch of different people talked to a bunch of people going hey no i did it i updated i did everything i was supposed to finally one of the support reps basically asked for the file and then sent me back a reply with a screenshot of the get info window that you can get on uh, on Mac, showing the actual dimensions, yeah. and it was almost like one of those. Look here, you idiot! Yeah, <laughs> it's exactly. not the right size. Right. 
So once we did that, finally, yeah, finally got updated. About an hour later. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's cool. That's something that was stuck in our craw, I guess you could say. For yeah, a while. It's been it, it was like us. our original our our original artwork was kind of mocking me. <laughs> <laughs> I liked our original artwork. You, I did too. you did the original yourself. I and did. I, I've always liked it, but. You decided it wasn't good enough and you had to go hire yourself a it professional. It wasn't universal enough. I artist. wanted to do more things. I want to stick I it know. on a mug and some stickers or something, you know? Yeah, well, I think you could have done that with the old one, too. I don't know. Anyway. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, there's been a few times where we've asked people to rate us, speaking of iTunes, to rate us in iTunes. Because although we don't have sponsors and we don't want to, we're not necessarily in this for any money or anything, we do want people who might be interested in, in you know, what we talk about or Salesforce or whatever. To be able to find us. And it turns out that in things like iTunes and other directories, they get things get weighted up or down based on how many reviews and if the reviews are good or not and all that kind of stuff. So we ask people to review us in iTunes. And so far, we've gotten one lonely review. And we haven't talked about this, all right? But we have five five star. Stop, ratings. stop me if I've already talked about if we talked about did we talk about this? We haven't talked about okay. that review. And I just want to thank whoever that was, because while we just have one review, it is an awesome review. You know, I, I here I think quality over quantity. <laughs> um, so thanks, whoever you are. Yeah. Um, and if you are listening to this now, tweet us so that we know who you are. Because I would like to, we should send that person a mug. Yeah. If you just let us know who you are, we'll send you some kind of swag. There you go. And the rest of you, go review us on iTunes. And we'll send you swag too. <laughs> but only if you have something good to say. Ah. <laughs> uh. I have something bad to say. Not really bad. I have a correction. Okay. Corrections are always bad. Uh, are they? No, not necessarily. not necessarily. So last week's episode, I was adamant when we talked about Google Code, um, when we were talking about cloud repositories, so Google's new kind of GitHub alternative. Right. And we had mentioned Google Code, and I was very adamant that it was gone. And um, it kind of stuck with me because I don't think it's officially gone yet. So here's how it actually is playing out for Google Code. So on March 12th, is when they're disabling new project creation for Google Code. August 24th of this year um, is when so the March site... So March 12th has passed. Right. So okay. they're, they're not accepting any new okay. new projects or anything on, on, the, on Google Code. August 24th is when um, they'll basically turn everything to read-only, so you're not going to be able to make updates to any, any existing projects. And then January 25th, uh, or yeah, January 25th of 2016, so next year in January, the whole service will be shut down. So you have until January to get all your stuff Moved over to GitHub or maybe even to this new this new um, source repository. So uh, were you just was this more about just correcting your your previous information, or were you afraid that based on our previous episode, someone was going to go out and <laughs> attempt to create a Google Code project, which I don't think anyone. Well, no, because we said it was basically dead, but I just wanted to clarify that. Oh, it's you not know, dead. If, if you have stuff on yeah, there, don't don't panic. Yeah. You know, it's not officially gone just yet. It's getting there. But it's in autopilot. It's yeah. It's not going to get any better. Not that it ever got any better. So I have a story to tell everyone. I'm, I was sitting at my computer yesterday, and um, Jeremy walks over to me. He's standing up. He's looking down over at me. You should see this. He's, he's kind of. Why, why are you doing this mannerism? <laughs> I don't do that. This is how you walk. I don't waddle like that. This is how you walk. I'm doing the the, <laughs> well, big, the big boss man walk. You know, when kids make make try to pretend to be the big boss man, they walk with their arm elbows like shunting back and forth. Actually, I do waddle right now, but that's yeah. because of my. <laughs> See, you're walking over reasons. all author- authoritatively and looking down. You're like, what's going on here? 
what are you doing? And I'm, I'm just, I'm at a loss. I don't know what's going on. And you're pointing at my computer. And it oh, turns yes. out I'd forgotten yeah. to plug my computer in. <laughs> and you're having this fit because you're obsessive about the battery. Yes. The life of my battery. Yeah. That, that you, you, you said you're, you're a bit of a OCD about making sure you're plugged in. Yes. Well, I have something to alleviate your concern. Okay. So recently Apple decided, this is across all their devices, iOS and their desktop, to update their kind of terms of service for Apple Care. And that is, previously with your iOS devices, if your battery lifespan got below 50%, they would replace the battery. They have now extended that to up to 80%. So as soon as you lose 20% of your battery life, you can go in and say, hey, I want my battery replaced, and they'll replace it for you. But they've also extended this to computers. So now your notebook, all these devices that you can't get in and replace anything yourself, you'll be able to replace once it gets down to 20%. And this is for anything that you bought. Um, it starts immediately, and anything you bought after April 10th of this year. So from April 10th on, all your devices will be covered under that new policy. Just new devices. Right. All right. Okay. Interesting. So does that make you feel any better? Um, does it? Does it make me feel better? Uh, not really, because I don't do Apple Care. You're going to go offline a little more often now that you know you can do that? No, I don't, I don't do Apple Care. So it doesn't apply to me. I don't buy insurance for my computer and my phone. Probably should. Says the guy who keeps, whose computer keeps crashing. Says the guy who buys a ton <laughs> of insurance and insurance never pays out anything. Uh, so Jeremy, how do you feel about coffee? Well, I think you know how I feel about coffee. <laughs> kind of go is that, is that the same question I used last time? That was, that was my goal was to introduce it the same way. Okay, so what is this? How do you feel about latte art? No. Oh, you've seen my latte art. I have. Have you not? No. What? I didn't know you did latte art. Oh I know gosh. you did lattes. I didn't know you got all into the artistic nature of it, which is which is perfect. Have you? Do you, do you, do you make just, like you live you under make, a rock? Do you make smiley? You, you never you, make. You must not do any social media. You don't ever look at Facebook or Twitter. You would have seen my latte art. I'm more on Twitter than I'm I am good. on Facebook. I'm good with latte art, man. I can do hearts. I can do little flowers and. What's the, what's the most elaborate thing you've done in in art? Oh, I don't. I guess I don't get super elaborate. I mean, there's guys that get do you know that pour 150 lattes a day that can do all kinds of crazy stuff. But yeah, but you do see it as an art skill. Oh, some of these guys are incredible. Yeah, for sure. Well, a company called Coffee Ripples has decided to take this concept of latte art and totally destroy the artistic factor of it by basically creating this machine that will print. <laughs> An image onto your latte. And it does it with <laughs> tiny ridiculous. little particle droplets of yeah, coffee. Yeah. Um, but it can spell names. You can upload a picture and it'll kind of do like a grayscale type image of a picture of a person. Some of them are kind of creepy because you got to turn into like this ghoulish demon looking person. Um, but if, the, if it's the right kind of picture with enough brightness and contrast, then you can get a, a pretty interesting image. This is kind of cool. I mean, it's, it's basically like grayscale printing, but it's not bad. Yeah. I, I don't know. I think it kind of destroys the artistic nature of creating latte art with this kind of overly produced yeah. machine quality printing. I mean, did, did printing destroy, you know, painting or any kind of other visual art? I don't think so. It's a different thing. True. And some of their advertisements, they, they try to kind of do this tongue-in-cheek thing because it's, there's an app associated with this. So you can actually 
kind of request what you want to be printed on there. So you can have your, your image, your artwork, your text, whatever you want. And so they show just different scenarios with people just kind of submitting what they want printed on their coffee. In one case, a guy asked some girl her, for her number or something and passed her a cup of coffee. Uh, now, if that doesn't work, I don't know what would work. Right? <laughs> it's, a new, it's a new way to, to interact. A, yeah, it's in like a new pickup technique. Yeah, a new, new pickup technique. <laughs> of course, we have no use for those. No, we don't. <laughs> I don't know why you'd even Why are you thinking that? along those lines, Jeremy? I don't know. I just, hey, you brought this up. All right. Bugs. Bugs. Don't you hate bugs? Yeah. I don't know. Are there any good bugs? Possibly. Depends on your perspective. Shrimp are good bugs. I guess. Lobsters are good bugs. Yeah. I mean, like, lobsters are more bugs than shrimp, right? Maybe. Uh, Does anyone like antennas? Yeah. I mean, people say they don't eat bugs, but you're eating lobster. That's a sea bug. A lot of cultures eat bugs. Crickets, ants, all kinds of stuff. Have you ever had Don't a judge. Have you ever had one of those? Like a um, cricket or anything I don't think like I have. I, w- I mean, I would try it, though. I just haven't had the opportunity. Uh, I mean, I have, but I haven't, I haven't seized on it yet. All right, so, so you would? This? I might. I'd consider it. Well, we're not talking about bugs at all anyways. We're talking about computer bugs. Okay. Let's... <laughs> so what is this? So MIT News um, released this article about a automatic bug repair System, so it's it's actually a piece of software that can analyze other pieces of code that it has access to. It's not actually analyzing the source code itself, from what I understand, based on this article. It's actually going and kind of seeing how it's processing information, and then kind of taking what it learns from that and applying it to its own programming to address its own bugs. So I'll just read from the paragraph. Um, I'll put this in the show notes. It's far more complicated than I can even express eloquently on this mm. podcast, but. We'll start with this. Uh, remarkably, the system dubbed CodePhage doesn't require access to the source code of the application whose functionality it's borrowing. Instead, it analyzes the application's execution and characterizes the types of secure checks they perform. As a consequence, it can import checks from the application written in programming languages other than the one in which the program it was repaired is written in. Once it imports the code into the vulnerable application, CodePhage can provide a further layer of analysis that guarantees that the bug has been repaired. This is like self-healing code. This is pretty interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. I mean, <clears throat> what's um I mean, I've used things like, you know, find bugs, which is a Java thing forever that works pretty amazingly well. It's just, it's it's a kind of a static analysis tool. Although it it works on the byte code, it still works on it statically, but yeah, I mean, it can just find what looks like perfectly, you know, correct code, right? right. It will find uh, you know, potential bugs. Some of them that it can d- tell you just outright are bugs, but other things that it says, this is probably a bug, and, sh- and it almost always usually is. Right. Some kind of bug or vulnerability or something that's going to fail eventually at runtime. But that's a tool that you run and you view the analysis results and yeah. make a decision on. I think this takes it a step further and basically starts incorporating that, that code into itself. Kind of scares me a little bit. Yeah. Well, I don't know. These, it uh, takes the best from, from another system and assimilates. John, you get buzzed because you forgot to go into Do Not Disturb. I'm on Do Not Disturb, but alarms still come through for some reason. Yeah. <laughs> I'm buzzing you for not having your technology under control. No, that's kind of cool. Although, I, you know, having um, self-modifying, in fact, I've got a somewhat similar topic to talk about in terms of self-modifying code later, but it scares me. Um, how do you version control it? How do you, you know, 
control it. I don't know. I've always loved the idea of code that could repair itself. Code where I could base, and I flirted with the idea on a number of occasions and just never put it into production because it was either kludgy or just didn't work right or it just wasn't worth the extra time and effort to keep it running. But basically it would it would identify patterns. So if you have a system crash where thing a single bug is not is um causing an issue across multiple systems. And this is back in the day when you had installable software. This before I started getting to all the web stuff and cloud stuff and everything else where you could just apply a patch to your web server and everything's everyone's got it. So I, I toyed with the idea of being able to kind of patch things on the fly, but have the, the program itself kind of realize what the error was for common errors, you know, like some divide by zero error or some kind of, you know, null error or something along those lines that it could kind of handle on its own and somehow auto patch and then release the patch. Um, but I, I never got it past any kind of prototyping or anything like that. It's very challenging. It, there's a lot of problems around that that would have to be solved. And again, you'd want to know about that and somehow work that back into your source. That's, right. that's I think, one of the challenges. The idea was just kind of fixing those, those main issues that happen that kind of you get that call in the middle of the night saying your stuff is breaking and yeah. no one can do anything. Yeah. But that never happens with my code. All right, good code. Oh, yeah. It's perfect. All right. Um, what is your... Uh, so we have a... Oh, we have a, a segment now, don't we? And I forgot... What was our, hang on a second. Um, don't we have a jingle for this? We do. Well, hold on. Oh, hold on. Okay. Before, I might want to move this topic further down because this plays into my, so my not, grand scheme. Okay. So my, my, my hidden surprise for you. All right. Well, let's keep going with yours then. Yeah. We'll, we'll skip over that one. But um, So I was looking for ideas of the week, and that's the topic we're skipping over. We'll do that a little bit later. But in the process of looking at um, the idea exchange and kind of figuring out what I want to be the idea of the week, you can actually learn some pretty good things about the system, either things that are coming on the horizon or things that some information that you, that you want to know about that isn't exactly published as news or, or in some kind of PR feed. So one thing I came across, because this was going to be my idea of the week, it's one I've been watching for some time, and that is uh, dependent page layouts. You know, a lot of us need the ability and want the ability to kind of dynamically show or hide fields depending on certain values on a page. Now today, you really can't do that. Sometimes we can do things with record types and assigning different page layouts to those and different profiles and all those kind of things, but that doesn't really solve the type of problems that we need to solve. So you're talking about maybe like not even showing a field altogether based on data in a specific record? Right. Okay. Or even just, just by profile. Um, without having to create additional page layouts. You know, we just want to exclude something from from the view because, and not that they shouldn't have access to it, but because it really has nothing to do with, with their their job function at that point in time, that you just want to reduce the clutter. So I can see how that would be tempting. I can also see how that would create, it's basically layering another layer of complexity on top of this the the existing system. Yeah. But anyway... And I think Salesforce kind of feels the same way. I don't think we're going to get dependent page layouts anytime soon, and here's why. Um, in the idea exchange for dependent page layouts, which has you know 60,000 votes um, and above, uh, the latest comment from the product manager is that um, this is under consideration. Mm -hmm. However, the way they're thinking about implementing it says to me that the native page layouts that we all know today likely will not get it, but will likely get something like it in the app builder, which will 
soon replace, I, I think, page layouts in general. Okay. But it, it, the note says, I don't have a target ETA yet, but we are looking at delivering conditional display logic in pages via the Lightning App Builder. <laughs> well, this is in parentheses, but quote unquote, safe harbor, of course. And it says, we're doing some underlying work now to make that possible so it'll be out in a few releases. So it sounds like, you know, in a few releases, maybe even early next year, we might see updates to the app builder that will allow some of that con- conditional displaying logic. Of course, you're going to have to redo all of your Salesforce implementation to use the app builder and right. lightning and all that stuff. But yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, I'm sure it's one of those things that's frustrating as hell when you can't do it. It's like, all I want to do is not, not show this field based on the record or based on who it is. And so, right. it's basically, sorry, you can't do that. Or maybe even you just have a type that doesn't really warrant a whole record type. Maybe you just have some kind of you know, type field on their pick list value that says this, this, or this. Because record types are such a heavy-handed feature. They are. I mean, it's talk about having a downside. I mean, just... Or even just hide sections. Maybe, maybe you have an opportunity, and once it gets to a certain stage, you want to collect more information. But rather than have all that information there all the entire time, I mean, I know you can collapse it and hide it, but you know, maybe you want that to be within the flow of certain things. Maybe you want a field right underneath the close date that once it goes closed, it, you, you add some information. It's, Without it's all about, having to change record that types. Without having to change record types, right. you know. Which is what we've had to do. I mean, we, we, could, we could sit here all day just kind of thinking of different scenarios and things that would be helpful and beneficial, and I'm sure there's some you know, additional real-world cases where... Customers would have loved to have that feature, but based on that feedback on the idea exchange, I don't think our native page layout features will get it, but I think sometime in the future we'll see it. Yeah. But that was not our idea of the week. That was not that our idea. That was just an week. idea. That was just an <laughs> idea. Um, we talked about usability quite often in Salesforce and how, and maybe not usability, but how Salesforce as a whole isn't designed for users. You know, it's usually designed and catering to the CEOs, the CFOs, the sales managers, the people who are trying to get reports out what, of the what system. What features do you have to have? What boxes do you have to check in order for some C-level person to, to buy this? Right. Right. Yeah. And so that presents kind of a problem for, for those of us that are kind of implementing solutions because when we talk about user adoption, you know, a lot of those key things, you know, the reports that managers want and all those kind of things kind of fly in the face of usability for the users and making the, the tool actually useful for them. And um, so I found this article. There's a company called um, App. Oh, what is it called? Ooh, I clicked. Swear jar. It's called AppMe is the company. And they have a product called Sales Mesh. And what this is, is this is a personal CRM application. Um, so if you're a sales rep, you sign on and you get your own Salesforce, your own sales mesh CRM product. Mm-hmm. And your manager deals within there, but it has a Salesforce synchronization routine. So you can say, you know, push this to Salesforce. So essentially you're getting this application where you get to do your thing, keep your leads, keep your records and all those kind of things. And you're pushing it into Salesforce. I don't know that there's necessarily a good idea, I mean, it's, it's, I think there's a demand for something like that. I think there's a lot of sales reps who prefer to kind of manage things their own way yeah. versus, you know, putting it into Salesforce. And in fact, some of their marketing materials were all about, you know, putting, not putting your opportunities and leads into Salesforce because then your sales manager is going to start hounding you on those and when it's going to close, when it's going to close. So you kind of keep it in this separate environment or you keep it in a spreadsheet or you keep it in some document until you're ready to actually start saying, hey, this is getting close. Right. You don't want to put it in Salesforce because then someone's going to beat you over the head about it. Why is this not progressing? Why is this not moving? It's like, 
you know, the person, the sales rep, they wanted to track this deal, but right. they, they're not ready to get beat upside the head about it yet. And to me, it's just, this is an indication or just an acknowledgement that there's a lot of poor management out there. Right. Um, I saw that Shell tweeted about this yesterday. This is where actually I saw this. I don't know if that's where you saw it or not. <clears throat> and Shell said something to the fact that, you know, this is, this is not a good solution. You, the solution is not to push stuff out of Salesforce. Right. And I kind of agree with him um, on, one, on the one hand. But on another hand, it's this type of thing is, uh, is, a, is a pragmatic approach to this problem. Just accepting the fact that there is a lot of bad management and you're not going to change that. You're not going to ever change that. So why don't we just create a tool to deal with it? To, let, to give these sales reps something that they can, they can nurture deals in and when they're ready to share them with their manager or their team or whoever, then they can push them over into Salesforce. Yeah. Um, you know, I, the business model is interesting. I mean, what are you, you just selling to individuals, I guess? I mean, you're not going to get a sales manager to sign up for this. Well, yeah, I mean, they don't, they don't exclude the type of people are using it and their licensing actually has built into it, you know, the concept of teams or multiple licenses for whatever price you pay. Um, in fact, their pricing says, you know, up to five users for um, the personal CRM. So you, I guess you could be a company who's deciding to kind of acknowledge that that kind of abstraction needs to exist and, and then use the integration and bring that stuff into Salesforce when it's time allowing your reps to kind of do what they need to do. Or, you know, you're a rep who, who just has your own way of doing things and you, you're stuck with, you're going right. to do it that way. And you get a tool like this to kind of do that. And at, at the very least, at least it has that channel into Salesforce so that that information can make it in there, you know, in, right. in a very easy way, you know, with the push of a button. I mean, guys are already doing this anyway. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I know plenty of sales people who do this exactly. They use spreadsheets or even worse, like notes or something. Right. Um, it, it'll be interesting to see how far they go with this. I saw that they said that they want to eventually cover as much of 80% of a sales rep's functional needs so that Salesforce becomes more of an option for the final commit. Right. Now that's, to me, that's going too far. That's basically managing your whole sales process outside of Salesforce, which kind of destroys your, I mean, any kind of meaningful uh, like what sales funnel tracking, what's it called? Pipeline reporting and stuff like right. that, right? I mean, I don't do any of this stuff. I don't, I don't get into. So do you think this is also an indication of kind of how poor or maybe lacking forecasting is in Salesforce or the ability to kind of manage a proper forecasting solution? I mean, we're kind of, everything's kind of dumped in there. The, the, the few options for forecasting and it's changed a lot since I've messed with it. So I may not be the most authoritative on it, but you have your very simple option, which is kind of roll up of all your opportunities based on these stages and their, and each stage has their percentage uh, probability of closing. And then you have something that's a little more advanced, which I haven't touched into a long time, but I know they've added, I don't know much about the forecasting. I mean, it's, I just, like I said, I don't, I actually don't get into CRM that much, um, but I know they've added, I mean, a long time ago, they added what's called advanced forecasting. And then it's, you know, it's just, it's, they've keep adding features on since then. I mean, that's Salesforce still at its core is a CRM company, uh, regardless of what their marketing and, and, you know, positioning says. And so this is again, a core functionality of CRM. So, you know, they better have, a, they better have good forecasting. Yeah. Right. 
It seems, but it but seems an app like this existing, do you think that's catering to a mindset uh, that sales reps have of, I want to control this, I don't want anybody to see this until I'm ready? Or do you think it's, it's more of a kind of a, a feature smell that says Salesforce is not doing something correctly? This allows them to sandbag a common thing that sales reps do, um, hold things over until the next month, because if they're doing good this month, right, and they know their next month is looking a little weak, just, that's sandbagging, where you just hold it back so that it falls in the next month. Mm-hmm. So it allows them to do all sorts of things like that, with, again, without getting beat upside the head by some kind of sales management. All right. Overall, uh, it's, a, it's a smell. It's an organization. If you have people using this, or if this sounds like something that's good, that's an organizational smell that you should probably figure out. Yeah. It's an escape hatch, but it's, it's one that is because your, you know, your submarine is on fire. Or, <laughs> you know? <laughs> All right. Well, let's move on. All right. Um, I have something to cover on Process Builder, but I know you have a couple of topics. You want to get into some of yours? Um, we can. You want to skip down yeah. to something? Okay. Um, so I guess this was when they were doing the European tour. Uh, Benioff sat down with um, B- the BBC. And hopefully I can get this to go to the right place. So he sits down with the BBC and gives an interview. And this is just like a small part of that. But I think it was interesting. Let's see if we can hear this. And when you see European regulators taking action against companies like Google, European regulators questioning the security of our data in America's cloud, how do you respond to that? My view is that... So he's asking about technology regulators in you know, Europe and especially like Germany, famously um, strict on data privacy, much more so, I think, than the United States. Um, and, you know, Google and Microsoft, they've all been you know, had their butts handed to them by regulators at various points, you know, throughout history here. And so this guy's asking Mark Benioff, who owns a technology company that's trying to, you know, solidify its presence in, in, the, in Europe. You know, what do you think about these regulators? For the vast majority of it, they have it right. I think the European regulators have had to take a strong hand and will have to continue to take a strong hand. Um, it's an important time. This is, these are nascent companies, nascent technologies. It's completely appropriate for the regulators to be as involved as they are. We have some very good regulators. You just look at some of the ones who have They're done so good. incredible, we love them. Uh, incredible uh, work. I mean, I could list them by name. A couple of amazing women, by the way, who have really led the charge. Ooh, women. And they have come Women up with surge. a lot of innovations, actually, in regulation that we would not have if it was not for them. So I, when I see them, I'll tell you the same thing that I tell them, which is they should take a bow. I mean, they have really added value to our industry. We need them, and I encourage them to continue to press on. Take a bow, regulators. We, we love you. It sounds uh, like he's, he's had some very close discussions with them of late, since he can name them by name. You know, what comes to mind is, you know, I, for one, welcome our regulatory overlords. You know, please, please approve us. Yes, please, exactly. please don't mess with us here in Europe as we try to, you know, extend our footprint out here. And again, you know, he's he's really great at preempting potential issues just by getting out in front publicly and, yeah. you know, sweetening the right. He does his job well. He does. Glad to get a good clip out of it. So, uh, Mark, what do you think of that uh, podcast that uh, John and Jeremy do? They should take a bow. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh. So, those regulators, they're so innovative. It's amazing. Yeah. 
Okay, uh, what's next? I've lost my spot. Oh, a Slack. No, no, WTF. Okay. So this is, I thought it would be cool to, I think I've talked about this before. I gotta find it though. Ah, here it is. A WTF of the week. This this is like, it's kind of like idea of the week, but Mm -hmm. it's it's an idea that's like, wow. You just just couldn't let me have a segment, huh? You had to like, oh, he's got a segment. Now I need a segment. That's gonna be. Hey, if you get one, I get one. It's only fair. (laughs) It figures you'd pick the most curmudgeon of them. Hey, well, you know, I'm trying to promote new ideas and, and expand the platform. And you're just like, the hell, man, this sucks. All right. <laughs> so I had this issue on a project I've been working on with deployments. And I finally was like, okay, I'm going to solve this because it's breaking, it's breaking CI and keeps, it keeps coming back up. And what it is, is on a certain object in Salesforce, it happens to be the idea object, but I think it could have been any object or at least any object that has list views. I think they all have list views, right? So we all know what listy views are. Yeah, right? yeah, we know what listy views are. Listy. Listy views. That's my, uh, that's my nickname for them. <laughs> um, and when you create a list view, you give it a label, and you give it a unique name, right? And Salesforce enforces that you have a unique name for your label, right? Yeah. Like no ifs, ands, or buts. This is like a database low-level uniqueness thing, right? Right. No. No. <laughs> <laughs> apparently not okay so the problem I've been having is when you download them like say you download the metadata for this idea object you will see two list views in fact you can even see it in Salesforce you do a drop down two list views with the exact same name label right mm-hmm. and then if you actually look in, in the metadata they also have the exact same like developer name the exact same API name and so you could download the metadata for the idea object and just deploy it right back and it would fail and it would fail and say hey there's already one named that you can't do that Hmm. And you can also say, no problem. I'm going to deploy because, again, we have lots of sandboxes and a whole deployment pipeline, so it's all kind of got to be automated. So that no problem. I'll just deploy a delete and delete, just pass that name in, and I don't know if it'll delete one or delete both. I don't really care as long as they're gone, right? Right. You couldn't even delete one because it couldn't, like, uniquely identify the one you were trying to delete. So it was it a standard or a custom view, or what was it? It was... I think it might have been standard. It was like ideas in the last seven days or something like that. So I don't mm-hmm. know if that was standard or not. I don't know. I mean, you couldn't do this on your own. You couldn't do that. You couldn't create two view, list views with the same name if you wanted to. I, right? I've never <laughs> never been able it's to. Not, no. It's not possible. So I don't know how this. I don't know how this even happened, but it did. Um, but I, yeah. So I got Salesforce to help me del- delete these these twin <laughs> list views. <laughs> so Salesforce was able to resolve it then, right? Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. There is there is that hidden thing with list views. You know, when you have the all, it show all, and it just has the word all. Yes. It technically doesn't exist. So you can, right. when you it's edit it. It's a phantom it, list view. When you edit of. it and you click save, you're actually creating a new list view called all. Yeah. So. Just fine. Although it's... It's kind of weird, isn't it? A little too bit too much magic going on there for me, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, gosh. Smacked. Okay. Slack. You use Slack, right? A lot of people use Slack. It's taken the kind of the world by storm. It's um, so it's for people who don't know. It's a it's like a group collaboration chat thing. Yeah. Um, and and you know if you had to compare it to something in Salesforce, it would be most closely compared to Chatter. Right. Although some might say it's Chatter, but like well done. It's works really well. Easy to use. You know has um, it very intuitive. Um, has all kinds of great features. Looks good, multi-platform, you know, no weird Adobe Air stuff, no weird, you know, pixelated, low DPI stuff. Just really well done. Um, 
you know, before Slack came out, the big one was HipChat. Is that right? Yeah, HipChat, which I think is a, an Atlassian product. And it's pretty good. Yeah. I've used HipChat before. It's pretty good. But Slack just seems to have taken over. And so there was some talk. It's, you know, it was, wasn't, this is not really news or anything, just some speculation that Salesforce might be interested in buying Slack, or at least some suggestion that they should. Um, so I thought I'd go through some of the points here and just see if this uh, is interesting. So this is just speculation? or This is just, yeah, this is like... Got th- me excited. Man. No, it's, I don't even think it's that. So anyway, okay, so Salesforce is competing with Microsoft and Google to be the primary SMB enterprise solution pl- platform. Do you agree with that? Yeah. Yeah, that remains reasonable. Um, Salesforce could take a huge step forward and deal a meaningful blow to its competitors with an acquisition of Slack. Um, they can make this happen, and it would it would create immediate growth. It would also make the make the platform uh, more defensive, and and it would be best of breed. So right now, like in my opinion, Chatter is not a great implementation, and is definitely not best of breed in terms of uh, group collaboration. You know, corporate collaboration, whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. social collaboration. And so this person, you know, thinks that, you know, it's a, it's a no-brainer. Um, and if, and if it, Salesforce doesn't do this, then someone's going to buy them. Someone's going to buy Salesforce or Slack? Slack. Oh, okay. Someone's going to yeah. buy Slack. I'd agree with um, that. And even to the point that it's, you know, it's kind of strange they haven't been acquired yet. Of course, who knows what offers they, you know, private, privately. Because right. they're, they're, I think they're private. They're a private company. Um, <laughs> but then there's some other commentary. So... Uh, you know, so there's no way Salesforce is hanging on to the idea that Chatter is number one, a serious competitor, or two, has any long-term viability or value add outside of contributing to the all-inclusive feel of the Salesforce ecosystem. Chatter is simply a second-rate product, and frankly, it's uh, borderline inept. <laughs> anyway, wow. this this you know this goes on and on, and I just kind of scribbled some, copied some of this. Um, but you know, so I looked at I looked at some things. So I guess at their last funding, Slack was valued at three point three billion. Um, Salesforce is valued at fifty billion, so you know they'd be using. Actually, Benioff values Salesforce at seventy billion. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Sorry, get my facts right. Yeah. Um. So it's you know that would be. I mean that's a big that would be a big acquisition. Yeah. That would be. Well, how big was Exact Target? That was their. That's been their biggest so far, right? That yeah. was two two point seven, I think, or something like that. Yeah, I don't remember. And boy, it sure seems like. You got a lot more functionality with Exact Target than you do with Slack, but but who knows? And and with something like Slack, Slack would be a little too niche to spend that much money on, I think, for Salesforce. Considering they have Chatter already, they, well, it would it would it would it had to replace Chatter. It would, but they've done so many work on the API, so many work on I the know. feed mechanisms. They, they've just invested quite a bit into Chatter. For them to go out and buy Slack, they'd have to keep it a separate product and then start integrating Salesforce into it. And then, and then what? You end up with two different competing products within the same company? And trying does, to see who would win? At this point, Salesforce is so big enough and it's got so many different products that, that it's either built or acquired that I'm sure they're still trying to get Chatter integrated into. And that's just so many different touch points and seams that have to be sewn, right? right. And just to, to rip Chatter out of all of those and replace them with like, you're right, would be, would be gigantic. But I've just never felt, and maybe, you know, I, I, I'm sure there are people that like Chatter. I've, I've heard good things, I think. Um, but I just, I've never warmed up to Chatter. It just doesn't feel right. It doesn't work right. It's kind of ugly and just things don't, it, it looks, again, it looks kind of enterprisey in not a good way. And you've been yeah. using Slack more recently, right? On some products you're working on? Yeah, but I, I think Chatter is meant to be this kind of almost 
Facebook, Twitter style feed mechanism where you're kind of, you're getting this constant stream of information and Slack is more team collaboration, you know, group connectivity, you know, you're, you're interacting and everything that happens within it is because someone wants you to interact with something. And I think chatter is both of those. So Slack's only one of them. Like Slack is the chat and group collaboration, whereas chatter is, is that plus a feed mechanism. Like things can have, all these objects in Salesforce can have feeds. And I think that's the problem because when you're talking about trying to just collaborate as a team, you want to reduce the noise. In fact, you know, Slack has all these great ways to, you know, create channels or even create these new team setups that, that are kind of isolated and you can reduce a lot of your noise. In fact, even some of the notification routines, they start out pretty heavy handed with heavy notifications and then it even reminds you to kind of start reducing that because it knows the only way the tool is going to be effective is by reducing the noise. With Chatter being so closely integrated with your data and constantly streaming you changes and updates to that, it, it gets really noisy. Yeah. It makes it difficult to focus. Well, it's, it's like, you know, the reason that you, people recommend not checking your email only once an hour. Right. Or, you know, you know, those type of things where you kind of dedicate some time every hour or so to do that versus this constant stream of distractions. Right. Yeah, and that's a good question. And I don't use, I've never been enough of a chatter user to know how good the tools are. It gives you at at that at, at a dial of how much how much do I want? How much, right. you know, how, at what detailed level can you fine tune your, the, 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 the frequency and the amount of things you're getting? Yeah, and I, I haven't played around with that recently to see how that's been affected. But at least the original inception that I'm aware, I'm aware of is you subscribe and you start receiving that. There's no fine-tuning that says, oh, only show me when this type of thing yeah. happens or when this type of word is mentioned, notify me. Right. All right, so for various reasons, we say this will never happen. You heard it here. <laughs> so great at predicting things. Yeah. Um, what do you want to do next? Um, we can get into Process Builder. Let's do that. All right, let's get into Process Builder. So... Again, I was doing some research on the idea exchange, and I came across some some new information. Um, but before I get into that, I want everyone to remember when when Process Builder was introduced to us and what they said about it. So Jeremy's going to queue up my video here, hopefully. Oh, you know what? Or my audio, or he's not going to at all. Um, <laughs> I will do it live. Oh. The new Lightning Process Builder for the Salesforce One platform lets anyone in your company build powerful apps that automate work and improve productivity in just a few clicks. Now you can automate everything, from daily tasks like follow-up emails, approvals, and reminder notifications, to more complex processes like order renewals, new hire onboarding, and daily inspections. Automating an inspection process would normally take weeks to code. Now it can be done in minutes. No coding. Simply select your object, inspections, define your criteria, like if your inspection fails or passes, and choose what to automate, like creating a new order for a replacement part, notifying individuals or groups of the status with an automatic chatter post or email, and submitting approval requests for anything from a replacement part to a system override. You can even schedule time-based activities to reinspect the issue 30 days from now. And you can integrate external systems into your process, such as your ERP or data from a connected device. 
The flexible design allows you to track, maintain, and optimize your process over time. So as your business grows and changes, you can change along with it, instead of rebuilding the entire process from scratch. Now, both IT and the business can see the entire company's processes in one place. Dancing over here. Yeah. <laughs> Good times. Okay. Build powerful apps with the Lightning Process Builder from Salesforce. Build powerful apps. Okay. Powerful applications. Man, that process builder. We can do anything we want. Right. Fire, e the, e fire the programmers, John. Get rid of them. <laughs> get rid of them all. It includes us. Mm, Just yeah. stop hiring us to yeah. do stuff. <laughs> Process Builder can do it all. That's, that's what we got at Dreamforce. That was the presentation we got, including things that are just downright not true. Mm. Well, they're true with a caveat. Like whenever, whenever in the video they say, and even include you know, data from your external systems in with the process. Now, what that means is you buy the very expensive Connect and connect mm. it to where you're have virtual objects of that data in your Salesforce instance, which means you can then access them through. Is that the O data thing? Yeah. Okay. So, so you can do that. Yeah. So, so there's a few things in there that are, that are kind of just like, eh, really? That's how you're going to sell it. But anyways, so here we are to today and a large portion of people I talk to are not using process builder. have tried to use it. have come across issues, especially when it comes to, the bulk bulkification or lack of bulkifying in Process Builder. Which should be an idea of the week, right? They have an idea for that. I've seen it. Yes, it's and got, that's where has, I started. It has a million votes, right? The idea is called Bulkify Process Builder, submitted by Brad Voss. It has 10,000 uh, votes, and it's under product team review. Now, this is, where, this is why I'm bringing this up, because the product team did respond to this in, in discussion with it. And there's a few things in here that make sense and a few things that don't. But one of the biggest things that's an issue for Process Builder is the bulkification, and I just closed my notes. <laughs> so I'll have to dig back the next You lose! <laughs> but essentially, there's a gem in the documentation for Process Builder that kind of that talks about why we're having so many issues with it. And it's that everything that's done by the Process Builder is bound by the Apex governor limits. Okay? And in particular... I'll read from the notes here. And this is, this is not called out anywhere other than a very small print. It could be in the paragraph, but I think it's one of those kind of quote topics that kind of mm. like an asterisk by something and you get one that kind of smaller text. And it says, each update record action uses one SQL query and one DML statement. So anytime you use the update records, that's one query and one DML. Okay. And so whenever you do, now that's not update record, that's labeled update records. So if you... Say I want to update records and you pull in the list of child records from an account, maybe contacts, and there's 10, that's 20, well, that's, you know, 10 queries, 10 DMLs, you multiply that by a batch job that goes in and does 200, and now you're hitting the limits right. of the system. So this is how this is all happening, and this is why it's happening. And apparently it's not that easy to fix. Apparently it's something they're going to have to work on over time and retrofit bulkification into it. I think this is what I think this is one aspect of it that they got wrong. I just and that's why it's so hard to fix because they just architecturally didn't approach this quite right. Which is you know it, uh, it's an ambitious project, right? The, it is, but it you're not going to get everything right, and and some things that you don't get right are hard to fix. But see, that's true. However, this happened with triggers as well. I don't know if you remember when triggers first came out when it was in pilot. You actually had two different types of triggers. You had a just a regular trigger. 
and then you had this bulkified trigger. There were actually two. Hmm. It wasn't until late towards the ends of the pilot they said all triggers are all bulk bulkified. Oh, everything's less. Everything's bulkable, okay. right? Yeah. Because before, what was happening is that you were. Well, I don't know exactly what was happening, but either way, obviously, it was a concept that was causing issues because the idea with the single trigger was that it would run whenever someone in the user clicked something and it was a one-off sure. versus something being done through the API that was all bulk. So mm-hmm. then they decided, well, now you're splitting your logic into two different contexts and, you know, let's just make it all one bulkified thing. And it worked out. Um, so I'm surprised that they didn't take that lesson with this unless this was all part of an acquisition where that wasn't handled and now they're having to retrofit that in there. And I'm not sure what the case is with Process Builder. If it was a from the ground up build and they didn't learn from their past or if it was something they acquired and they're just iterating, you know, features into it. Yeah, I don't either. Like I say, I mean, the, the promises of it are, are make, would make it seem like a very ambitious project and you're never going to get everything right the first time. And like I said, some of those things that you don't get right, they're, they're so hard to fix because you, you get people building on the original version. With around this original model, they're going in order right. to bulkify. They're likely going to have to change the entire model of how this thing works, right? Like they did with triggers, actually. But they just did it, but when it was still in in pilot, so you always want to try to fix those things before they make it their ways out into the public, right? So I'll read a, I'll read a bit from this from the product manager. She says, "We are actively working on plans to cover bulk use cases in the process builder. It is, however, a complex problem, which I agree with. The context here is that they are platform limitations that will." That they have always governed flow and apex. Um, those and those limitations aren't impacted by um, standard workflow rules. All the things that you have access to. Um, but moving on from that, this is the paragraph that kind of bugs me, and I'll read it all the way to the end because the last sentence is what really bugs me. For process builder, our goal is to abstract away this type of complexity and solve as many types of bulk use cases behind the scenes as we can. The solution will be multi-layered. <laughs> That's where they fail. And one will be iterating, iterating on. It won't likely come all at once. We're going to iterate, and meanwhile, workflow rules, flow, or apex are still in place. So they're saying, this isn't quite ready yet, but we're going to, but you still have access to all this stuff, so keep using that stuff. Um, but here's the, what really bugs me. In the meantime, we're going to step up our educational efforts to help users determine if Process Builder is appropriate for their use cases. That flies completely in the face with how we were sold Process sure, Builder. absolutely. Uh, this is just enterprise software, you know, positioning and marketing. Uh, the fact that, that they're, they're basically new. saying, oh, you're just not using it right. That's not the right use case for this. That's not what, how we meant it to be. Yet when you listen to that video on how Dream, when it was presented at Dreamforce, it was this all new workflow engine yeah. that could do everything. Right. We even got a song out of it on YouTube of a guy that said, yeah, well, that's you right. know, I forgot what it was. Process it was, Builder, I love you. Yeah, I love you, Process <laughs> Builder. Where have you been all my yeah. life? I don't need a coder or a trigger anymore. Yeah. It's like most, most relationships are exciting at first and then they... You you discover a fatal yeah. fatal flaw in your partner, <laughs> <laughs> and and, to, and you know I know we're kind of ragging on Process Builder, but I do like the concept of Process Builder as a workflow engine. I think it has a lot of potential. Um, it just needs to get there, and I think they released it too early. I think they should have spent more time with it. I think they rushed it to market, and it's probably going to impact the success of it because a lot of people I know are not using it, or even places where I've implemented it and it's been working. Um, I've had people say to me, we, we want to get rid of it. We want to stop using it. So to me, it's clear that Salesforce is very motivated to develop these 
tools that allow people who don't have any kind of you know software engineering background development you know computer science whatever to enable you know these people to build essentially build software build applications build right and workflow i guess was kind of the first step into that and then there was the what's the the, the visual flow thing flow, which i don't right. use because it's you know and, and now and now so we've got Workflow. We've got the flow thing. We've got process builder. We've got uh, approval, all kinds of apex. Approval stuff. process gets lumped into right. its own category. Um, apex uh, triggers. Right. There's all these all these different ways, but but they're really pushing hard on the you know just the general category of like drag and drop programming. Right. Right. Draw a little work. You know, draw a little flow chart, and you know, just drag and drop here and there, and you know, no coding required. And I understand the appeal of that. Um, and I think to some degree that it kind of makes sense. And I think it's kind it's, it's possible, but there's all kinds of things that, you know, are important that I feel like the way they, at least our positioning process builder tend, tend to, tends to fly in the face of, you know, if you're going to be building a system, you know, good software engineering practices, um, tests and, and version control and, you know, having um you know abilities to to catch regressions and just just a good process for developing your system right and this just encourages um not necessarily like doing stuff directly in production but that's what people end up doing just oh let's just change this thing in product production or whatever i mean there's no reason i don't think you couldn't build your process your your uh process in sandbox and then deploy it to production but uh yeah i just you know i'm a I'm always concerned about, you know, the, the, these things are these things are really interesting, but but be careful. Like you should what I really wish Salesforce would would do in terms of stepping up their education like this product manager mentioned is helping educate customers on or just, you know, users of Salesforce, organizations that use Salesforce. When when do you cross that line where you need to start thinking about, well, maybe we should actually have um Maybe we need to start thinking about these, you know, good software engineering practices. Did you know we started out and all we were doing is we added a few fields and we were doing page layouts, and now it turns out, you know, we discovered that we needed some triggers and we've got some we've got some some visual force and we've kind of wrapped some of our other business processes into this, and 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 then you know we've had deployments have gotten harder. We've had we've had failing stuff in production and our administrators when they make changes in production it breaks it it breaks things because they didn't go through the test process and. You know how do you how do you know because it's it's a very sloppily drawn line, right? And how do you know when you're crossing that? And and when you do, how is Salesforce? What Salesforce? What guidance is Salesforce providing on what you should be doing? Because and is that sales? Is that Salesforce? Is that consulting partners? I mean, your Salesforce has gotten so big that at this point, unless you're going to do professional or something like that, you can't do this without help. I, I agree. Well, first of all, Salesforce does have consulting. Um, I don't know what the quality of that consulting is, but they do have. I'm sure. I mean, I'm sure well, they have a professional services. Yeah, team. And, I'm, and if you took just that their PS team, it's probably bigger than any any one of the Salesforce consultants. So they probably have a huge P, uh, PS team. Um, and and also you don't want it to be a thing where when you do engage with a consultant, the consultant's telling you all kinds of things that they have never heard from Salesforce. Like this shouldn't be like alien speak. Well, we've always said we've had to kind of bring people down from the hype or level set them on you know, what this no. feature actually does and what it doesn't. It's because and, a salesperson at Salesforce sold them Salesforce and made all well, kinds of promises. Well, it's not just Salesforce. It's, well, 
sales and marketing well, both are, are, right. are hand in hand on this or, one. Or they or they went to Dreamforce and saw that these videos and yeah. these presentations on Process Builder, right. and they think it can do everything. And there's there's no downsides. There's you know you don't you know it, it takes all the work out of it, all the trouble out of it. Right. Um, and it turns out that it's never that easy. These things demo great. Drag and drop software development has been demoing great for twenty years. I mean, I don't, I don't fault drag and drop. I mean, I, I like the visualization tools that are in it, the ability to kind of see the flow. It, I, I think that helps, especially for people who are very visual, like like me. Yeah. Um, I just want it to work like it, like av- as advertised, basically. Mm-hmm. That's all I'm asking. That's not too much, right? The devil is always in the details. This is Salesforce, a the, huge company, yeah, a six well. billion dollar company, on its way to being the fastest of ten billion. <laughs> I should be able to get a process builder that works. It is absolutely my dream, and I'm dedicated to be in the fastest to 10 billion. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's, you know what? Turns out software is hard. And I don't, you know, I don't knock Salesforce. They are in a very competitive business and they have a huge suite of software and with a ton of moving parts. And they've only got, even though they, you know, spend a billion a year on software engineering, they, it's, it's it, you still only get you a certain amount of, of uh, bandwidth. Right. Um, and you're not going to get everything right. You know? And as much as I'm a critic of Salesforce in some ways, it's it's because I you know I do work on this thing and I want it to get better. Um, but it turns out, as far as I can tell, it's still still one of the best things out there. That's my uh, that's my disclaimer. It's <laughs> a good way to end that topic. <laughs> okay, so moving on. You want I want to get the fun to... the fun stuff. Do you have any other topics before we get to the fun stuff? Um, I mean, did we do we didn't do our idea of the week. Uh, that and the. The okay. stuff happens with the idea. Okay. All right. Well, let's, okay. Let's get to that. All right. So the idea of the week I picked purely because it is fun. Okay. It's a great <laughs> idea. It's only got 2,600 votes and I want to up the ranking on that because I want this to happen. This is a Dreamforce cash cab. So the idea is that you're at Dreamforce, you get into a cab and all of a sudden, just like the cash cab, you hear this ding, it lights up and all of a sudden you're on a trivia show answering trivia questions um, about Salesforce. And the idea even expands on that, saying that this could happen during the thing, during the event, and then later it could be televised or showcased in one of the keynotes. So, with that in mind, I thought we'd, we'd do a little cash cab, <laughs> oh, cool pop quiz trivia thing um, with you and I. <laughs> Who's taking this quiz? Me? <laughs> You're taking this quiz. <laughs> okay. However, there, 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 is, there is some skin in the game here. Uh-oh. So here's the here's the rules. It's six questions. If you get if you if you only get zero to three correct, meaning you get nothing correct or just three answers correct, you have to pay five dollars into the swear jar. Oh. If you get between four and five correct, I have to pay five dollars into the swear jar. Okay. However, if you get all six correct, I will put ten dollars into the swear yeah, jar. That's fair. Okay. Are so you're ready? incentivized to make me pay ten dollars. Okay. That's right. awesome. You ready? Let's let's go. I don't even have a title for this this trivia. This uh, is the Salesforce Good Day Sir Cash Cab. No, that's awesome. There you go. All right. It's my first question. All right, Jeremy. Your first question is, which of these is not a Salesforce edition? Developer edition, personal edition, team edition, contact manager. Which of these is not a Salesforce? I'm going to guess the one that didn't have the word edition in it. Oh, 
crap. Really? What was it? Personal? It's personal. Team edition. Oh, that doesn't it, exist anymore? No, nope, it's group oh. edition. They didn't have a team before? That's, that's always been group, hasn't it? I think uh, so. Yeah. All right. <laughs> all right. So far. All right. Question number two. How many entries can you have in a custom pick list? 1,255, 40, or 100? Hmm. 40. Oh, oh. wow. <laughs> that's two for two. How many two, is it? Oh. Is it 100? It's 1,000. Oh my gosh, that's ridiculous. I would never let people put a it's thousand. It's actually a hundred for standard. How much scrolling would that be? Who has a screen that big? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Question number three: How many SQL queries can you make during a single synchronous transaction? One hundred, two hundred, two fifty, or five hundred? It was one hundred, unless it has changed. Is that your final answer? Yes, one hundred. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> Question number four. What is the maximum timeout in seconds for callouts? 30 seconds, 60 seconds, 120 seconds, or 180 seconds? 120 seconds. Correct. <laughs> two to two. Not even Googling answers. <laughs> <laughs> Question number five. What is the total heap size limit for asynchronous transactions. 6 megs, 12 megs, 10 megs, or 15 megs? Mm. 6, 12, or 10? 6, 12, 10, or 15. I'm going to say 12. You are right, sir. It is 6 for synchronous transactions and 12 for asynchronous. That's good to know. All right. That's three right, two wrong. Right now, you're still paying. <laughs> How many more do we have? One more. This is oh, the last okay. one. This this decides whether I pay or you <laughs> pay. Right. This, this worked is, out really well. very pivotal. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What is the maximum number of characters you can have in an Apex class? Oh. 500,000, 1 million, 2 million, or unlimited, no limit? I'm going to go with 1 million. Oh, you are correct. <laughs> that means I'm paying $5. <laughs> <Woo! in Switch. laughs> that was fun. Thank you. Thank you. All right, John. Thanks. Thanks for contributing to the jar. <laughs> Uh, at least, I, at least I got out of it cheap. Yeah, that's true. Could have been worse. That 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 worked out perfectly because you you had just right there to make it kind of skin in the game <laughs> for both of us. I was getting nervous. Yep. Well, that was our quiz. Any other topics? Mm, how are we doing on time? We are. Yeah, we're time to wrap up. Time to wrap up. Um. So, if you haven't rated us on iTunes or whatever you use. What are, the, what are the things that you can rate on? Stitcher, is that it? I think there's some other things, but I think iTunes is the most important thing. Um, we, got a, we got a great review, but we need more. We need more reviews and ratings. 
because that helps people find us. Right. And if you, if you enjoy this podcast, then probably other people would too. And so far, I know we have at least three listeners. So <laughs> three people we must enjoy that. This. We should be fair to our audience. Yeah. We keep saying that. I know. I we, think we're it, kind of the self-deprecating, but you know, I think we have, we've, we have I think we've doubled it. Well, I think we're up to six now. Yeah. But uh, yeah, t- just take a minute, write a, write a line or two in, in iTunes. And, uh, and it's okay to praise on John and rag on Jeremy. That's I mean, fine. That's kind of what we expect I, listen, to see happen. I'll, I'll take that. But yeah, we would greatly appreciate it. Absolutely. And to that, I say, good day, sir. You lose. You get nothing. Good day, sir. We have some very good regulators, incredible, uh, incredible uh, work. They should take a bow. They have really added value to our industry. We need them, and I encourage them to continue to press on. And I, for one, welcome our new European regulator. Overlords, I'd like to remind them that as a trusted TV personality, uh, I can be helpful in rounding up others to toil in their underground sugar caves. Mm.